0: and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Row campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Lord, in another news cycle and another set of uh, chaos, calm our hearts and minds to hear afresh your word today that we might encounter you and leave from here transformed, that we might glorify you and leave here to point the world to you. Send down your spirit, even in this moment. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, He fashioned together the whole of creation. He uh, created humanity in his image and saw that it was very good. Genesis 2 tells us uh, a much more intimate picture of how that happened, that God breathe breath into humanity, that God took bone from humanity and gave life to more humanity, that God sat with his people and worked together. We see a vision of Adam and God sitting and naming the animals and dwelling in each other's presence and delighting in one another. Even in Genesis 3, we hear that God walked in the cool of the garden, seeking out Adam and Eve. There is no distance between God and humanity in the garden. Heaven and earth are one place. They dwell together, and things are very good. But we know that humanity rebels against the one prohibition God had given them, and things dramatically change. They run from God. They hide out of fear and shame and ultimately God sends them out from the garden and heaven and earth begin to separate. There's a distance between humanity and the presence of God and we see how things spiral from there, how sin reigns we see how we move to murder and disoriented hearts that lead folks to all kinds of evil we hear the story of Noah and even after that where God has made covenant with humanity the very next story is people trying to build a tower to heaven at Babel where they try to name that they are the powerful ones it's like they're trying to take over God's realm even as he has put distance between them God scatters them throughout the lands and gives them new languages, naming that things are not right. For a good part of the story from there, we only encounter God and humanity together at very specific moments where God steps into the story for just a second and speaks to just a certain people. And there seems to be a growing distance between them. God will make covenant with them, yet he seems to be far away from them and them far away from him. When we turn to, uh, to Exodus and we hear the story of the people in Egypt, their cries have to reach up to God to be heard and for him to respond. And he does. He meets with them and goes along with them He meets Moses on a mountain and meets the people in a storm cloud and ultimately God journeys with them in the tabernacle. God who at one point had heaven and earth uh, overlapping in Eden now is put in a box that he might at least be near his people. There's now a danger of approaching God when before they sat and delighted in one another. But at least God is near the people. He is, he is a known entity and a known place. God will go before them in battle. He will lead them into the promised land. He will be with them. David wants to build him a permanent home, and ultimately God rejects that and says that if you you must do that, Solomon will do it. And Solomon builds a temple on the back of slave labor to put God in one place. And so this little bit of heaven sits in the midst of Israel, but still fairly approachable and only by certain people and only at certain times and only when certain things are right. The distance between God and humanity is vast. And the distance between God and the rest of humanity that is not Israel is even vaster. Ultimately, the nation divides into two. The north goes into exile in Assyria and the south falls to Babylon and in maybe the climax of Israel's grief and lamentation Ezekiel sees the very presence of God lift up from the temple and go away there seems to be no overlap between heaven and earth God is only dropping in at specific points and times and the people feel far away from God They're allowed to go back into the land, but they name that God is not in this temple, that God's presence surely can't be here for it to be like it is. We need to do all these right things. So for 400 years, groups try to be good enough. They try to do the right things. They try whatever it takes to get God to dwell in their midst, to be in the temple, to be where they know where he is. God shows up at the temple, but not as this mysterious presence in the Holy of Holies, but as a young child, and then as a young man, as a Galilean Jew who has a ragtag band of disciples, God shows up in the temple as God enfleshed in Jesus God once more dwells right with humanity, sits with them and delights with them. God calls together a band of followers, but then goes and and draws near to those who are hurting. To those that the world has pushed to the side and said, You're unworthy, Christ draws near to them and says, You are worthy. God is very close. To a certain group of people at this time there's Peter and the 3 and the 12 and the 72 and the 120 experiencing this nearness of God but then Jesus begins to tell them things like I'm going to have to leave you I'm going to go to death where I'm going you can't go understandably their hearts are broken things had just begun to seem like they might be okay they had just shouted Hosanna and they thought God was here to save them but no God's going to die Jesus is going to go and leave them where will the presence of God be what does this mean for us Jesus tells them in John chapter 14. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. He goes on later on to say, I've spoken these things to you while I'm with you. The companion, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. Christ knows the very pain in their hearts and this idea of being left alone. He promises the Spirit's going to come and be their companion forever, that the Spirit will dwell with them and testify to them of the Father's love and the Son's love he will be a comforter and draw near. I thought that was the end of the Holy Spirit story in the Gospel of John. I'm going to confess, I've read the Bible a lot, and I've read John even more. I've translated this thing, and I've never noticed afresh this Holy Spirit, Pentecost kind of story in John's Gospel before. Post-resurrection, post-Easter, we read... It was still the first day of the week that evening while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Jesus came to them and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. When his disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, I needed, I needed this picture and this holy imagination this week. The God who breathed breath into our lungs breathed on us the Holy Spirit this day. Christ in flesh, raised from the grave, came and breathed forth the Holy Spirit on the disciples. If that wasn't enough, we read uh, a full recounting in Acts chapter 2. Sarah read it for us today, and we read about how There was like a sound from heaven, like a howling of a fierce wind filling the house where what seemed like individual flames of fire lighted on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. People outside heard them and understood in different languages. Friends, in this moment, everything that happened post-fall begins to unravel, where they had gone up in the Tower of Babel, and God had scattered them, and they did not understand each other's languages. God comes down to them and brings them together where they do understand each other's languages. We draw so much closer to heaven. Eden seems so much nearer because the Spirit of God has come down instead of us trying to go up after Him. This fire that comes down changes everything. Peter draws on the story of Joel and how in in the day of the Lord, old men will prophesy, young men will dream, dreams will pour out his spirit upon the servants, the men and women, and they will prophesy. Wonders will occur from the heavens above, signs in the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be changed in darkness, the moon into blood, and there will be great uh, spectacular on the day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From the moment humanity was cast out of the garden and the way was blocked by that angel with a flaming sword, I think the question has always been, how do we get back? How do we draw near to God? How can we know that things will be okay? And it's when God comes down to us in the spirit and testifies to all that things begin to change. This isn't a happy little Uh, meek and mild, tender Pentecost. This is a wild and crazy and dramatic day where things look bizarre. People think that the disciples are drunk up in there because the Spirit has gotten hold of them and they are going. Friends, Peter starts preaching and doesn't stop. He just goes on them. He just quotes Old Testament passage after Old Testament passage and starts preaching about how God is doing these things in this day, how Christ... Fulfilled all these prophecies, how the Spirit has been poured out. And you know what happened? Thousands of people, thousands of people believed that day and were changed. They repented and baptized. Friends, we need the Spirit to pour out today in mighty ways and draw us to repentance. We need to be real close to those waters of baptism for we don't have to look far to know that things are not right. We don't have to look far to know that we are not in New Jerusalem, yet that we have not returned to Eden. We stand in this gap between this time where the Spirit has been poured out and access to the garden is open. We weave our ways through life. In moments, knowing that the Spirit is near to us, knowing that the Spirit dwells in our, in our very being and testifies that we are God's children. And in moments, wondering where is God's presence? Friends, the world needs the flame of Pentecost to pour out on it, and the church does too. We've spent this whole time in Peter talking about what it means to be God's witness in the midst of a hurting world to be a redemptive force for God. We don't do that on our own. We do that through inviting the Holy Spirit in and inviting the Holy Spirit to do radical things. Peter's preaching an Old Testament sermon on Pentecost. He's drawing on these prophetic texts and assuming that we would kind of piece together all of the context for these. What Peter is naming that is going to happen stands at all these texts where these prophets speak to a people because they are trampling on one another and because they have turned their backs on God. The prophets speak for two reasons. Uh, The people have stopped worshipping Yahweh and they have treated humanity like garbage. The picture is that the Spirit gets hold of them and that ceases, that they orient their hearts to, to God, God who was enfleshed in Jesus and whose Spirit poured out on them and that they cared for one another. We have this descriptive picture of what it looked like for them to sell all their possessions and share things to to care for each other in their provision. Pentecost reminds us that God wants us to be part of his work of justice, his work of uh, uniting the whole world, work of pointing the whole world to him. See, Christ came and and minister to Israel, but the spirit pours out for the whole of humanity where ultimately the promises of God come true that all nations will be blessed. This week, I have needed the spirit. I've needed to understand what, what is going on, and what I can do. Dr. Glenn Packham, pastor of New Life Downtown in uh, Colorado Springs, uh, tweeted this week about God's love for the marginalized. It was incredibly helpful for me this week to think about how God does have a special love for those that the world tramples upon. We name it in scripture as the orphan and the widow, the alien and the stranger, We need to name that it's persons of color, that it's LGBTQ individuals, that it's the prisoner, that it's uh, far more than just these simple little categories. God's heart is for those who have been trampled upon. He invites us through the power of the Spirit to be, to be his hands and feet, to be his very body, Friends, I have been praying fervently this week that the Spirit would fill me and would fill you in mighty ways and show us how we might do more than simply pray. For right now, all I know to do is pray. I'm listening. I'm trying to understand from persons of color what what it means to be authentic. I'm hearing it's not enough to just not be racist. (laughs) That they actually need us. They need us to be us. I have uh, spent most of my life being okay that I'm not racist. I'm learning that that is not enough. and So I am in fervent prayer that the Spirit would show me what it means uh, to be transformed, to be a Pentecost person, a person who sees the very nature and character of God because what the Spirit is doing in me. Uh, a very type of person that people want to draw near to God because of me. And that's my prayer for you. Friends, the world is on fire. May we call down a different type of fire. The fire of the Holy Spirit to set us free from bondage, to set the world free from hatred, To do that which only God can do. Pentecost feels different to me this year, and I hope it feels different to you. I hope the Spirit of God is already beginning to work in you a a great dissatisfaction with where things are in the world. I pray that the Spirit testifies to you what it means for you to be a son or a daughter of God. I pray that the Spirit uh, gives you great insight into your giftedness and the ways in which you can serve this world. I pray that the Spirit testifies to your spirit that you are beloved and that you are a child of God. I pray that the Spirit moves in ways that are unmistakable and undeniable, that the world begins to think we look weird, begins to think that we are weird and different, that, uh, that they want to see What is going on? I'm dissatisfied with a hallmark Pentecost, but I can get really excited about an Acts 2 Pentecost. I can get excited about the Spirit filling Andover and us being agents of change in Lexington and Kentucky and beyond. I get excited about God's presence drawing near to us. I get excited about God's Spirit abiding with us as we wait till new creation when things are made right, when there is no more pain or sorrow no more suffering no more tears where there's no need for the sun for the glory of God is so bright that it shines upon all of us that we draw near to the tree of life and dwell in the presence of God not wondering where he is or where over there but right with us I look for that day when all things are made right but until then friends we need to be filled with the spirit in such a way that we bring heaven wherever we are the days of God being out there ended long ago we need to act like it. We need to believe it. And we need to pray that it will happen today. I am ready for the spirit of Pentecost to pour out a revival upon this church and upon this nation. I'm ready for a new Pentecost. I'm not going to stop praying for it. I'm going to ask our staff to be praying for it, our leaders to be praying for it. I'm going to ask you to be praying for it. The world is unacceptable as it is right now. And we can all do something about it. We have to ask God to tell us what it is and we have to ask God to actually be the one who helps us do it. But it's unacceptable. May the Spirit of God pour out on you fresh today. May the Spirit of God enliven your heart. May the Spirit of God delight you. And may the Spirit of God help you see God's face just a little bit clearer. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we like to worship on uh, each Sunday as if we're celebrating Easter. And we do. Every Sunday we celebrate that Christ is risen. And that Christ will come again. But that doesn't mean we have to come happy. Or acting like all things are right. So Lord, today we we make room for grief and lamentation. And yet as we make room for that, we give you that room to fill with your spirit. To draw near to us, to abide with us, and to help us go and be your very body. Lord, until new heaven and new earth come, until we dwell in your midst once more, use us and fill us. Help us be the church you have called us to be. We love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.